Hi friends, it's good to be with you again today. I want to begin by just saying how much I appreciate you and how thankful I am for who you are and for being the kind of church that you are. I couldn't be more proud of belonging to Midland Reformed Church and being a part of the community of faith that we have crafted together and that you have um, embodied so well and so faithfully. I have been inspired uh, so many times this past week uh, receiving messages from you, posts, notes, uh, stories about really inspiring worship services that you're doing in your homes with your kids, creative and participatory and God-honoring and engaging in all sorts of really great ways. I've really been thankful for your generosity, your uh, remembering Midland Reformed Church in your uh, giving, if you're able to at this time, has been a reminder of your faithfulness, not only uh, to the commitments that we've made together, but to our, our missionaries and the needs of our local community. And we're in a strong position to continue meeting those. And so thank you for that, for that generosity. Thank you for the, um, the work, the caring, the ministry of our elders and deacons and staff. You have exhibited perseverance and creativity in all sorts of really amazing ways. And I am um, just so, um, yeah, just so grateful for who you are as a church. And I uh, celebrate your, uh, your faithfulness to all of those things. I am going today to take just a little bit, begin to take a little bit of a turn away from our Roman series. We decided as a uh, board of elders that uh, maybe doing some more uh, pastoral care-oriented sermons would be more useful at this time than a heavy dose of theology. Theology will be good, and we'll get to that, and Romans will always be there. I'm going to dip into Romans just a little bit today as we transition, but in, for the next few weeks we will look at some other topics together. Let me begin by telling you a story. I first heard the story when I was a young seminary student and I was at one of the uh, chapel services for our school and one of our professors named Robert Banks was preaching at a chapel service and he told this story about actor Kirk Douglas. You may have heard me tell this story before. It's uh, The setting of the story is uh, during the closing days of World War II the war effort was winding down and a lot of soldiers and sailors and airmen were returning to the states and many of them were traveling through Southern California on their way back home. And one sailor was recently, had recently returned from the Pacific Theater and was, had landed in Los Angeles and was hitchhiking his way down to Palm Springs and as he was en route a driver pulled up along next to him and invited him into the car and the young sailor got in the car and he was immediately stunned because the driver um, was Kirk Douglas and the, the sailor saw the unmistakable profile and the strong chin and the, and the striking eyes and he didn't want to be rude and he didn't want to seem uh, overly excited so he would just take sort of furtive glances to the side and then try to look forward again down the road out the windshield and then he'd look a little bit longer and his excitement and his enthusiasm kept building and finally he couldn't contain it anymore and he just blurted out, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, in fact, maybe it's even an urgent question. 
today? Who are you? Uh, who are you being? Paul looks at the Roman church and he sees the divisions and the challenges that they're facing. He sees the uh, struggle as they live under imperial rule and he sees the tensions that are building in the midst of all of that and he begins with a question about their identity. He, he does that by recalling the story of creation. And if you look in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 20, you'll see where he does that. He, he calls us back to remembering the, the uh, moment of creation. In verse 20, he says, From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky and all that God made. And they can clearly see his invisible qualities. Think about that for a minute. What are the invisible qualities of God? They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Uh, it's as if Paul is saying to them, remember, church, remember who you are. Remember that you are the created child of God. You're the work of his very own hands. Uh, you're placed within this amazing creation as God's crowning achievement. Remember today who you are. Maybe this evening as it gets dark and you step outside into the backyard, you can look up into the night sky and you take in the expanse of the galaxy and you see again the power of God. Maybe it's tomorrow morning as the sun comes up and before anybody else in your home is awake, you make your way outside and you, and you watch the sunrise and you bask in God's faithfulness to you. A new day created for you. Maybe uh, you take in the concert on the back deck as the birds and the frogs and the crickets make themselves known. You marvel again at his creative and detailed and lavish handiwork. As you do all of those things, be grounded again in the awareness that you are standing before the living and the limitless God. Do you know who you are? Paul says, you are a child of that God. You belong to that God. The Heidelberg Catechism makes a similar point in its famous opening question. Uh, the writers of the Catechism say, what is my only comfort in life and in death? That's another good question, isn't it? Uh, how have you been seeking comfort this week? Where do you find your comfort as you see an unfolding future filled with unknowns? Maybe you get comfort by getting information. Knowledge is power, and, and you have the sense that the more you know, the more you understand, the more comforted you can be. Maybe you find comfort by managing other people or controlling other people. Maybe you even find yourself getting angry when people won't do or think what you want them to do or think. Maybe you comfort by uh, denying Maybe you're pretending that the situation that we're in isn't really all that serious. Maybe you find comfort by hoarding supplies, or maybe you distance from relationships, not just social distance, but emotional distance. There are lots of ways that we try to calm down our anxieties and comfort our hearts. Ultimately, though, uh, most of our comfort-seeking circles back around and bites us, and and instead of being comforted, we find ourselves becoming more angry or we find ourselves becoming more worried or more distressed or more sad. 
And that's because of crisis, whether it's a personal crisis in our own life or whether it's a global crisis. A crisis unmasks our illusions of control. And we're reminded that our world was never as safe and it was never as predictable as we thought it was. And so fortunately, the Heidelberg Catechism never says your comfort is found in your safety and in your control. Those are false idols. They never deliver. And instead, our comfort is found in, the Catechism says, belonging. And now we're right back to Paul in Romans. We are God's children. We belong to the living and limitless God. As you go through the words of the first question and answer of the Catechism, a couple of highlights stand out to me. Uh, the first thing that I would notice is that the word comfort here, what is your only comfort, is not a weak word. It's not about sentimentality, and it's not about just soothing our raw nerves. The original Latin uh, is a word there that actually means strength. And so it would be legitimate to ask, uh, to read the question as, what is my source of strength? What is my only strength? How do I stand strong? How do I find the courage to come out from behind my masks and behind, from behind my defense mechanisms and my coping devices? How do I be who I am? That's the comfort that the Catechism speaks of. And this is that I belong um, uh, in body and soul, in life and in death. My comfort, my strength is in belonging, and my belonging is all-inclusive, right? It's all of who I am. It isn't just my spiritual needs, but it's my physical well-being. It's, it's not only on this side of the grave, but it's on the other side of the grave as well. From the beginning to the end to eternity, my life was never mine to control. My life was never ultimately in my hands in the first place. It was in another set of hands. The Catechism says that my life, my belonging, is to my faithful Savior. And so once again, the language of Romans comes to us. It's uh, the language that affirms in Romans over and over that Jesus is faithful. The faithfulness of Jesus is where our hope and salvation is. Jesus' faithfulness to us in, in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, his faithfulness uh, restores our relationship with the Father and allows us to be fully who we are with confidence and with grace. The writers of the Catechism go on and say, and so therefore there's not a hair that can fall from my head uh, without his knowledge, without his care and attention. And certainly that, that, uh, that doesn't mean that God is pulling the hair from your head. And it also doesn't mean that no hair ever falls from your head, that nothing ever changes. Uh, the promise from the Catechism and the promise from Scripture uh, is not that all will be well in the end or that nothing, nothing bad will ever, ever happen to you. The, the promise is more like the promise that we hear in Romans 8.28. Listen to uh, this language again. In Romans 8.28, uh, what we read is this, and we know that all things, in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Uh, what he's getting at there is not uh, so much that uh, nothing bad ever happened, but what he's saying is that everything that we experience, the good things and the bad things and the unpredictable things, everything that we experience, everything that comes to us in our living and in our dying and every day between, uh, is designed and, and, and is, is capable and is powerful to move us 
towards Jesus. Nothing will ever move us away from Jesus. And as a matter of fact, that's exactly where Paul lands uh, chapter 8 uh, when he writes these words, uh, famous words uh, that stand uh, beginning at verse 38 of chapter 8. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't, the angels can't and the demons can't, our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's away from us. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So do you know who you are? You are God's very own creation. Uh, You are his beloved child. You are pursued and set free by your faithful Savior, Jesus. And you are secure in his hands forever. And nothing, nothing will ever take you from his grasp. And so practice that belonging. Uh, The structure of Romans is going to be, this is who you are. And so live into that identity. This is the theology and this is the practice. The theology is you belong to God. And the practice is practice that belonging. Maybe in the gospel language, the wording that you prefer is practice abiding. Abide in him. Be still with God. Walk with God. So maybe that means turn off some of the noisy inputs. Log off of your screen. Uh, Get away from the folks in your household for just a few minutes. Take a nap. Sleep. Savor the taste of a a fresh orange and let the, the, the citrus be a reminder and a prayer of thanksgiving for God's refreshment in your spirit. Maybe read a psalm and bask in God's faithfulness. Sing a song. Uh, Make worship not just an event that you attend, but let it become the heartbeat of your life, the core of your identity as a child of God. And then finally, the Heidelberg Catechism ends with a call, an invitation, a commissioning maybe. And that is not a call that invites us to collapse into helplessness. It's not a despairing call into fatalism that says, well, I guess uh, everything belongs to God, and so it's God's problem to solve, and whatever will be, will be. Uh, It's not laissez-faire, and it's certainly not a call to minimize our responsibility. But the uh, first question and answer of the catechism um, ends with a call to partnership to partner with God. and uh, That's part of our identity too. Living with God and living for God means that we partner with God in the care of his creation, in the love of our neighbors, and in the demonstration of his presence in the world around us. Do you know who you are? Uh, You are God's very own creation. You're his beloved child and You're pursued and set free by Jesus, and you are secure in his faithful hands forever. You're a worshiper of God who delights in God's presence, and you're a partner with God in the care and the renewal of this good earth. May God bless you and be 
present with you now and always. Amen.